If you have a copy of God's Word with you, I invite you to turn to the letter of Jude. We are finishing out this great letter, this short letter. And we'll be looking this morning at Jude, verses 17 through 25, right to the end of the chapter, uh, at the end of the letter, really. So uh, Jude, we'll begin with verse 17, like to read the passage, and then uh, we will get into it this morning. Jude, beginning with verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, saving others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude is a very interesting and important letter. However short it may be, it has great value value and importance. Uh, Jude defines himself as the author at the very outset, as you saw last week in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. And I think this is so important and so necessary because Jude is writing about something that's of prime importance for the church, for the believer to understand and to embrace. He's writing to believers in Christ as he defines them as the elect, those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers in Christ who were experiencing a lot of turmoil at this part and day and age of the church because of false teaching and false prophets and false teachers that were prevalent even among them. This was important because Jude says that he wanted to write to them. He desired, at the beginning of the letter, I desire, he says, I was very eager, he says in verse 3, to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So understand from the very beginning of Jude's letter, he defines himself as the author. He's the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers in Christ, and he says, listen, I would have loved to have been able to just pen a letter to you that was just celebrating and talking about how great our salvation is in Jesus. But he said, I felt it necessary to write to you for another reason, to contend for the faith. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to all the saints. And he goes on to verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So understand again. Jude the half brother of Jesus is writing a letter to believers. Even though he desired to write about their common salvation, which is good, and we want to be remembering that, we want to rejoice in that, we want to be reminded of that, he says, there's another reason I'm writing to you, because there are those that have crept into the church unnoticed, and they're promoting, preaching, proclaiming falsehoods concerning Christ. 
concerning the faith that you once heard preached and that you once received, concerning the truths that once transformed your lives. And I want to warn you about them. That's why I'm writing to you, to warn you. Because there are falsehoods that have crept into the church. Now I find it so interesting that this is the letter that Jude is writing. And why I find it so interesting is he's the half-brother of Jesus. And if you remember when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, his brothers... Jude, being one of them, had rejected him. They didn't believe that he was who he said he was. Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him when Jesus was carrying out his earthly ministry. John chapter 7, John's gospel chapter 7, 1 and 9, speaks about Christ being rejected by his own brothers. And then in Acts chapter 1, we're told about his brothers that were converted after the resurrection. And so Jude would have been one of those half-brothers that when Jesus was walking and preaching and teaching and doing miracles would have rejected him and didn't initially believe that he was who he said he was, but he was transformed, he was redeemed following the resurrection of Christ. And now he's proclaiming the truths that he once rejected, which I think is incredible. That, that just sets this up as a letter for me that I'm like, this is fantastic. Isn't it amazing when you see someone who maybe previously you shared the gospel with or you proclaimed the truth of God's word and they've rejected it, they've rejected it, they've rejected it. It's not for me. I don't believe that. You're foolish for believing that. And then God transforms their heart, transforms their mind, and they come to know Christ. And then to see those individuals proclaiming with others the same truths that they at one point rejected, that's what you have going on with Jude here. Isn't that fantastic? I love that. I love this letter because here Jude is as someone who was an unbeliever, who once was skeptical, who once rejected, now proclaiming and giving the church notice. Look at verse 4 again. Notice there's unbelievers that have crept in. And what is he calling them to do? He's calling them to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. You know, we could make a message strictly out of just those two verses where he says to contend for the faith because there are those that have crept in unnoticed that are basically preaching heretical things, damnable heresies, things that are contrary to the truth. And we could make a whole message series out of contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to you. But Jude really sets that out as the purpose of his writing to warn them and to encourage them to contend for the faith. Now here's what's also very interesting is that Jude is making note here to the believers that it's not a worry or a fear that is coming in regards to the falsehoods and the false teachers and those that were rejecting Christ. He's not warning them that it's coming. He's warning them that it's already here, that it's already there. You know, Jude is is set Time period-wise, most would agree that it was before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And and Jude is even going to quote from Peter's second letter in his letter. He's going to quote from 2 Peter. And he's going to reference the writings of Peter. And and it's likely that he was writing this from Jerusalem before the destruction of Jerusalem. But Jude was writing about falsehoods that were present. Peter previously wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2 about the false prophets that were coming about the falsehoods that were coming upon them. Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. to There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, 
bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Peter warned just prior to Jude writing his letter, just years prior to Jude writing his letter, of coming apostates, of coming false teachers, of of basically those that were coming into the church, that would be coming into the church denying Christ, denying the truth, and their desire was to pull true believers away from what they knew to be truth to follow these heretical teachings. Peter was, was letting people know this is coming. Now here we have Jude proclaiming and sounding the alarm that they're here and they're amongst us. And so Jude had this sense of urgency in his writing because he wanted to warn the people of the apostates and false teachers that were there. Very similar wording that Peter used, if you picked up on it in 2 Peter chapter 2, to the wording that Jude used last week in describing those that were preaching these heretical things. Their destruction has been set for a long time. It's coming because of who they are and what they were preaching and what they were proclaiming. Now, I want to look at verses 14 to 16 as we transition into verses 17 through the end of the letter here. Read again 14 to 16 with me. You can read it silently. Look at verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude really is not like using pleasant language here at all. He's using very just plain, really harsh language describing those that are false teachers, false prophets, those that are trying to even steer others away from the truth. And he calls them over and over again, ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. Sinners, loud-mouthed, grumblers, those that are seeking their own good in their own ways, those that are even trying to pull away others for their own advantage. But Jude is going to make a transitional statement in verse 17. After speaking and describing, as was looked at last week, these ones that had rejected Christ, these ones that were proclaiming something contrary to Christ, he then now is going to make a few very key truths, I believe, clear to the believer, starting in verse 17, where he says, but you, but you. So in contrast to these false teachers and these false prophets, in contrast to those that had come into the church and were present in the church and they were rejecting Christ and even seeking to bring others with them, he's now going to really focus into the believer and say, listen, but you, believer, but you, believer. And I believe he's going to really distribute here four important truths in the remainder of his letter to the church, to the believer in Christ. And I believe the first truth we see, verse 17, 19, is that the believer would remember that there will always be haters of God. There will always be haters of God. Uh, Jude has just described them in the first 16 verses. He's made it clear who they are. He's talked about them. He's proclaimed it to them. They're present and they're among you. And now he, he shares, verse 17 and 19, look again. Even though we read it, I want to read it again. Listen to what he says. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's another reason most would agree that this is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, 
that was writing this letter because there was some dispute from some that believed that it was actually Judas writing this letter because Jude and Judas' names oftentimes could be interchanged. And some people felt as though this was Judas writing this, which would bring it into question. But the fact that Jude is going to make reference to the apostles and not setting himself up as an apostle, the fact that Jude is going to identify himself as the half-brother of Jesus, as the brother at the very beginning, he says here, of James, again, gives light, sheds light on Jude being the, the author of this book. But that's a side note. But he says, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. It's truth number one for the church, and I think we have to understand this today. There will always be haters of God. This is nothing new. There will always be haters of God. There will always be those that don't know Christ, that don't follow Christ, that will have much to say in opposition to those that do follow Christ. And Jude highlights this, and he doesn't appeal to himself as the authority on that. Jude's not saying, just listen, I want to tell you something. I want to remind you, there's going to be haters of God. There's going to be scoffers. There's going to be those that are rejecting Christ. He says, no, listen, remember the words and predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what they told you. Remember what Peter wrote in his letters. Remember what was proclaimed, even by Christ himself, that there will be those that hated Christ and they will hate you. There will always be haters of God. And and the reality is when we look at the world in which we live in, there are two distinct groups of people living in this world. There are those that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, those that know Christ as Savior, that belong to God, are children of God, and there are those that are children of the devil. There are those that are of the world. There are those that are serving Satan and those that are serving Christ. And, and that was laid out for us in the letter of 1 John, if you remember. Where John very clearly proclaimed that there are those that are walking and, and following after righteousness. And there are those that are walking and following sin in the world and the prince of the power of the air. But Jude is reminding the believer here that yes, you're believers, right? You know Christ. And there's that group of believers that know Christ, have been redeemed. But then there's the other group and they are haters of God because they don't know God. They don't follow after God. As I was reading this letter, I was remembering and thinking back to, uh, you know, if you think of any sporting event where you would go on the road to someone's home court in basketball or someone's home field, if you ever watch a sporting event on TV and, and you see starting lineups being announced, when the home team gets announced, it's typically second. They announce the away team, away team first. And one of the best illustrations of this is if you've ever, I don't know how many of you were, were Chicago Bulls fans back in the day when Michael Jordan would play for the Chicago Bulls or if you were a Cleveland Cavs fan when LeBron played for the Cavs, if you ever went to a game in person, uh, the Cavs announcer, whenever he would be announcing the opposing team's starting lineup, would do it in a really monotone voice. So if he was like announcing the Golden State Warriors, he'd be like, and for the Warriors, I guard, you have Steph Curry. And he'd just be real monotone. And then when it would come time for the Cavs starting live to be announced, the lights would shut down, like lights would be blazing all over. There'd be fire lighting up in the background. And not! Like, and it would build. And everybody's on their feet going crazy. And then when it finally got to introduce LeBron James, they'd be like, you know, they would say where he's from and then he would announce his name and everybody would go nuts and everybody would be, fist bumping and chest pounding and everybody would be going crazy because the home team was being announced. But whenever they would announce the away team, 
people would kind of just be booing and, and they were just nobody cheering, nobody saying anything. Depending on how rowdy the crowd was, there may be people yelling like obscenities at them or, or depending if you're, you know, Phillies in Philadelphia, they might be throwing bottles at you. Uh, whatever may be the case, when the opposing team was being introduced or being announced, there was all kinds of heckling and everything going on to them because that's not your team. That's what I was thinking of when I was thinking about the haters of God and the attitude that haters of God have towards the things of God and the people of God. Understand there are those that hate God, that hate Christ. Jesus said, if the world hated me, he didn't say, listen, the world didn't really like me, they didn't really appreciate me, they didn't give me my due And they might not appreciate you either, beloved. Now he said, if the world hated me, it will hate you. Sometimes we don't like the process that, we don't like to think about that, but that's truth. That there will always be haters of God. This was predicted. It would be intense. The reality is there should be zero expectation of any other kind of response from haters of God than hatred towards God. Because someone who does not know Christ as Savior is absolutely, positively dead in sin. And they will not respond. They cannot respond. Apart from the work of God in their lives. There will always be haters of God. I think this is important for us to understand because Jude's going to lay out at the end of verse 19. He says, it's these who cause divisions. They're worldly people. They are devoid of the spirit. Devoid of the spirit. Can I just make a statement I think is so important this morning? And here's why this devoid of the spirit is important. If you and I say we have relationship with Christ, then the spirit of God lives inside of us. And if the Spirit of God lives inside of us, then our lives should be demonstrating what the Spirit produces. You see, Jude is saying that they are haters of God. They're devoid of the Spirit. They're ungodly, doing ungodly things and following ungodly ways. They are devoid of the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit of God in their lives. And so what follows is what would be expected to follow those that are devoid of the Spirit. But I wonder... Why is it that too often the life of the believer looks so similar to the life of the unbeliever? Because that really should never be the case. And yet, if we are all honest, there are times that we would say, man, my life does not look much different than theirs. Than the one that doesn't know Christ. Than the one that God is considered to be ungodly and a hater of God. But I want us to understand, I think it's important in what Jude is reminding them is that these, these opponents, the haters of God, will always be present. They've always been present. They always will be present. And we have to have a reasonable expectation of what will be coming from them. We should not have a reasonable expectation as a believer in Christ that what we expect those that don't know Christ to produce in their lives would be anything other than ungodliness. The other day I was trying to unscrew the license plate from my vehicle. To, to swap the front and the back one for various reasons. But I was trying to swap the, uh, the license plates and I needed a flathead screwdriver to do that. And 
I don't know why it is, but whenever I need a particular tool, I can never find the one I want. I can find every other. I had like 30 Phillips head screwdrivers like at my disposal. Uh, and I couldn't find a flathead screwdriver anywhere. And so I was like, all right, forget it. I'll try the Phillips head, which isn't brilliant, I know. But, but I'm trying anything to fit it in there. And when it wasn't working, I'm like, why doesn't this stupid thing work? Because it's a Phillips head, not a flathead. <laughs> right? And, and there's this expectation almost that I put on this tool that is not designed to be used in that fashion, that it would be able to be used in that fashion. Understand, as a believer in Christ, you and I are different from the world. We should be different from the world. And there should be no reasonable expectation on the part of the believer that the unbeliever will be in favor of or supportive of the things of God. That's not what we or they have been designed for. And so I think it's important that we understand these Haters of God will always be present. They've always been present. And guess what? It is reasonable to expect that they will show hatred towards God. And hatred towards God's people. Maybe you've noticed that. Maybe you've noticed that there is a huge disdain for the things of God, it seems. It seems like there is such a prevalent attitude, even what scripture says in the current day and age in which we live worldwide to call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. But we should not be surprised by this. Second truth I think Jude is communicating here is that our calling as believers remains unchanged. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Look at verse 20 and following. But you, beloved. So right again, after speaking about the ungodly, those that don't know God, the haters of God, he then contrasts again. But you, beloved... You, follower of Christ, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In contrast to them, you build yourself up in your most holy faith. Build yourself up. Be in God's word. Pray. Assemble together. Encourage one another. Focus on the love of God. Focus on the eternal things of God and not on the temporary or the things that are right in front of our faces so often. Because so often we can become so distracted. And if you're like me, maybe something comes your way during the day and it can very easily cause our attention and focus to be distracted from the things that God has for us. There's a lot of that today. There's a lot of things that are competing constantly for our minds. There are a lot of things that are competing constantly for our, our joy. And if we allow it, we can be robbed of that. And so he says here, but you, beloved, you, follower of Christ, you that know Christ, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So what Jude would say as he began the letter, contend for the faith. He tells the believer, contend for the faith, defend the faith, stand sure in the faith. And then he says here, a little later on, as he's closing out his letter, coming to a conclusion in his letter, he says, listen, build yourselves up in that same faith. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Build yourselves up in your faith. I wondered this morning, what does that look like for you? How many of you have heard people say about, did I just turn the news off because the news is so bad, I don't even want to listen to the news anymore. Have you said that or heard people say that? Or people who 
turn on the news or they look online or they're doing anything like, man, the news is just terrible everywhere I look. It's so discouraging. It's so discouraging. so discouraging. And if you and I as believers in Christ consistently, constantly are dwelling on the things that are outside of our control and losing sight of the one who truly has all things under his control, we can grow discouraged and we can grow weary very quickly in that. But God's desire for you and I as believers is that we would build ourselves up in our most holy faith. How are you, how am I going about doing that day in and day out? How are you building yourself up in your most holy faith? I think one obvious way that we do that is what we see right now as believers gathered together, the church gathering together is of absolute necessity and of absolute value. It is 100% valuable and of absolute necessity that we as believers in Christ are gathered together to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. God has called us to assemble together and we will assemble together because we need this. That's one way we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Studying. God's word and reading God's word, applying and memorizing the word of God in our lives and in our hearts is one way that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. He says praying and communication with our God, communicating with him, pouring our hearts out to him in prayer, acknowledging his sovereign control and power and authority in prayer is how we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, looking not to the temporary but the eternal is one way that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. If all that we know as believers in Jesus Christ is the here and now, we will have every reason to be discouraged more than anyone else. But we know something far better, do we not? And so build yourselves up, believer, in your most holy faith and contend for that faith. See what Jude's trying to inspire them here with. He's combating falsehoods and error by exalting and reminding the believer of eternal truth. Let me say that again. He's combating falsehoods and error by reminding and encouraging the believer to consider the eternal truth that has transformed their lives. Because we either believe the words of Christ or we do not. We either believe in the hope that is to come or we do not. We either believe in a sovereign, authoritative, all-powerful God, or we do not. Build yourselves up, beloved, in your most holy faith. Now, in verses 22 to 23, this can be a little bit confusing as you just glance over the passage. And I just want to cover verses 22 to 23. I don't want to ignore it. Uh, because it can be somewhat confusing in the way that it's worded here. But look at verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Really what most would agree that Jude is, is talking about here and referencing here is the duty that the believer has to care for believers who have either uh, a wavering faith because of the falsehoods that are being taught, Believers who have even begun to follow some of these apostates and their teaching or those that are just completely engulfed in it that as believers in Christ we have a responsibility to the doubters to have mercy, to show compassion to them, to have mercy on those who are doubting, to save others by snatching them out of the fire, 
those that are, are in and amongst these apostates and in and amongst those that are teaching these falsehoods. And they may even be influenced by them, which is Jude's warning about and Peter warned about. The whole snatching by fire gives this picture again of even what God did with Lot while Lot found himself in Sodom and Gomorrah before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire and sulfur from heaven, that God would snatch him out of the fire as it will. And that as believers in Christ, we have a duty, we have a responsibility for believers in Christ that are following or finding themselves following those that are preaching falsehoods or air or heretical things, that we have a responsibility with them to quote-unquote snatch them out of the fire that they find themselves stirring in. And then he says... To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There seems to be a warning here that there are others that we want to show compassion and mercy and we want to show care for and we want to seek to deliver out of the fire that they're finding themselves getting engulfed in. But we do so with fear, with an understanding that we do not want to be stained by that. We do not want to be drawn in or be swept away with that teaching as well. And so there's a care also for our own personal self in following after Christ. There seems to be a prominent teaching on Jude's part here to the believer, not only to build themselves up in their most holy faith, but to show compassion, care, mercy for the believer in Christ that's amongst them that is struggling. And I think we all know people like that. I believe we all know people who have doubts that are believers in Christ and maybe because of things that have happened in their lives or because of people that are influencing them that they're starting to show some kind of doubts and and understanding of some of the things that they've embraced or some of the things that they believed. And we want to show compassion and mercy and care for those individuals. There are those that we know that maybe they're sitting under teaching that we know is contrary to what God and his word says. Uh, Maybe immature believers who are being led astray. We probably all know people like that. And we have a responsibility as those that know the truth and believe the truth and have found ourselves in Christ to be able to go alongside them and to speak to them concerning these things and encourage them and to, as it would say in this passage, snatch them out of the fire. And there are those that we really need to care for and go after as brothers and sisters in Christ that find themselves inundated and influenced. Peter warned of it. Jude tells of it. And in the midst of all of it, he wants the believer to be on his guard and to build himself up and to build others. We have a responsibility as a believer in Christ not only to care for ourselves but for one another because we are the body of Christ. Yesterday, we have a go-kart at home that uh, was this old racing go-kart and so it can get moving pretty quick. And uh, my daughters don't, uh, depending on when and how fast they're going, don't like to go by themselves. But I had Leah, our youngest, she's three, that wanted to go on the go-kart. And so she was sitting next to me in the go-kart, and I started it up, and I start going, and I wasn't going very fast. And as I was going, and she's bouncing over, she had a helmet on for safety, and, you know, and she's strapped in there, and I had my arm over her like this, and, and I'm hold- she can hold on my arm because I was concerned for her safety and her well-being. I was actually more concerned for her safety and well-being than I was for my own safety and well-being, but I wanted to make sure that she was secure because I wanted to care for her in that way. That is what the picture of the believer is to do for one another as we serve Christ in this world. So many one another's in the word of God that we would not only look at our own interests but the needs and interests of others, that we would esteem others better than ourselves. 
As I've already mentioned, that we would build one another up, that we'd pray for one another, that we'd care for one another, that we'd love one another, that we'd forgive one another, that we'd bear one another's burdens. And so these two verses, 22 and 23, Jude goes to great lengths to show the care, mercy, compassion, and efforts that must be made on the part of the believer for other believers who are struggling, who are doubting, who are being influenced out of care and compassion and love for them. After that initial ride, she just wanted me to push her in the go-kart <laughs> instead of drive her because it was too fast. Truth number three, the Lord is with us and he empowers us. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. What a great statement. I want you to just not miss this conclusion that Jude lays out. You know, Jude just laid out the fact that there are haters of God, there are scoffers, there are mockers, there are those that hate God and hate you. There are those that have been predicted as doing such. And then he, after giving all of this and all the turmoil that comes with that and all the dissension that comes with that and all of the, the needs that come with that, he reminds them as he closes out the letter, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The Lord is with us. The Lord empowers us. Listen, you and I on our own can do nothing. But through the power that our God gives us, we can live faithfully for him. We can glorify him. We can honor him. It's because he is the one who keeps us and empowers us. The Lord is with us. The Lord empowers us. And number four, all glory, remember, is due to him. Verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, both before all time and now and forever. Amen. All glory. Glory is due to Christ. All glory is due to Christ. Too often as believers in Christ, we can forget that all glory is due to Christ. It is not about you and I. It's about him. Just as the words of that song proclaimed that we sang before the message time this morning, he is worthy. He's worthy. It's his work. He's accomplished it. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so as we look at this great, short, brief letter that Jude writes, I want us to remember, Jude would have loved to have written just about our common salvation. But there was an urgent need that needed to be addressed. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints must be contended for. It's in that faith that as believers in Christ, we must build ourselves up in. Trusting our great God who empowers us ultimately for his glory and his glory alone. Might that motivate us, stir us to do that which would honor him this week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for the warning that Jude lays out so clearly. And we're thankful for the assurances that we have in you. God, I pray even as Jude would desire for the believers that we would build ourselves up in our most holy faith. That we would contend for the faith that was delivered once for all to the saints. That we would trust in you who is able to keep us blameless until your coming. All for your glory and for your honor, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.